The psalmist David said, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you so much, Matthew, for ministering to our hearts. I think on a day like this where we are celebrating the life of someone who has given himself to the cause of Christ and to the ministry and to even Maranatha, I think we would all testify that all glory and praise goes to the Lord, but it is amazing how God has suited and had given all the gifts and talents to Dr. Larry Oates. God gave him his mind. God gave him the ability to articulate. God gave him the commitment and the perseverance. And because he and we are all made in the image of God, God can use us. Aren't you glad God can use us? It's a wonderful blessing to know that a man like Dr. Larry Oates is here to be a testimony to all of us. He has definitely been a help and a testimony and encouragement to me personally, probably more than almost anyone here at Maranatha. I didn't really even know him until about five years ago, but as most of you know, uh, I became the dean after he was the dean, and I was stepping into huge shoes that I could never even hope to fulfill. And it's just been a great blessing to call him my friend. And I actually wish that all of his children could be here today to celebrate. One thing you'll have to do is you'll have to sing happy birthday to him separately from the chapel. We didn't do that in chapel here today. But um, make sure you greet him today. If, if you're in class, maybe you ought to sing to him, okay? That'd be wonderful. Um, I think there is a reception after, after chapel today as well that, that will honor him for his uh, 75th birthday. But I think even more staggering than that, just to give you a perspective, I'm not even 50 yet. I wasn't even born when he started teaching at Maranatha. That's unbelievable. And I'm so thankful for that kind of consistency. I mean, that's amazing. No doubt, he has seen it all. And that's why sometimes he's called Mr. Maranatha. And uh, really just so thankful that I had the chance today to share the word of God. And actually the message that God has directed me to share uh, for, one, for one reason is because of my friend, Dr. Oates. For another reason, uh, it's something I need. It's a message I have preached before. It's a message I need. It's a message I believe you need at this time in the semester as well. And I hope it'll be a blessing to all of us today as we look at God's word. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. I had a very busy weekend and so thankful that I was able to travel this weekend with the Heritage Singers on their, for their last service, their last services. We were at the Harvest Fest in uh, Michigan where there were over 1,000 uh, people represented. I think they said about 900 teenagers, about 200 uh, youth workers and sponsors on Saturday under a big tent and then ministered at Trinity Baptist Church in Flushing, Michigan yesterday and had to drive around the lake both ways. As you know, that takes a lot of time. And uh, we got back late last night and so thankful for the Heritage Singers. Uh, one thing I found out about my good friend Philip Holloway, he knows where to get good donuts in Michigan. Let me just tell you. If anybody has ever eaten donuts from Sweetwater Donut Mill, anybody ever heard of that? 
Okay, if you're from Michigan, I'm sure you've heard of that. Shout out to Philip Holloway. He kept saying, hey, just trust me. We, gotta, we have to stop at Sweetwater. We, I will trust him for any food decisions from here on out. <laughs> I'm so thankful for Philip and Jackson, for Autumn, for Julia, for Rayanna, and for, uh, who am I missing? Hannah, duh. Hannah, okay. All of them, such a great job uh, over the weekend. A special time with them. So thankful for them. Micah chapter 6. So here's what Dr. Oates said a few years ago. He said this. He said, your years at Maranatha will be some of the best of your life. Can somebody say amen, please? I say it this way. A short-term, short-term experience that will generate a lifetime of commitment. These should be some of the greatest years of your life. He's right. Your years at Maranatha will be some of the best of your life. You will find lifelong friends. I was glad to see Dylan Keener as I walked through uh, the hallway over there at the DC. He's here now representing the church ministry along with Chip Herbert, and he's trying to get more people to come serve there. And uh, he was a student here. He has lifelong friends. He's my lifelong friend. So many of you are already you're going to make lifelong friends. This is what Dr. Oates said. Your years at Maranatha will be some of the best of your life. You will find lifelong friends. You will be, you will be tested mentally, financially, emotionally, maybe even physically. But these tests will prepare you for a life of sacrifice and ministry. He has exemplified that for us. He has lived a life out in front of us. He's telling us the truth. He said this. He goes on to say, enjoy your time. Don't get caught up in complaints over little things or things you might view to be unkind or unbiblical. God has put you here for his reasons under these circumstances of life because he knows it is what you need to prepare yourself for tomorrow. And he concludes this quote by saying, revel in what God is doing in you. I thought that was a very appropriate way to start looking at this text of scripture because the entire goal of this message is to remove, in a sense, all of the complications and all of the distractions that could pull us away from the simple requirements of God that he has for us. Listen, your life is full of requirements right now. Your life is full of expectations. How dangerous it could be for us to live our lives meeting the expectations of everyone around us while we are missing the expectations of the God who made us. The book of Micah is a powerful book. The third section of the book is started here in Micah chapter 6. And at the beginning of this third declaration by the prophet Micah, he declares in a similar courtroom type analogy, he declares literally a case or a, an indictment or a controversy is the word that's used here in our English translation a controversy with the people of God. Notice verse one. The prophet declares, as, as if he's the prosecuting attorney, he declares the problem. He says, 
Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. This was the prophet's way of saying, this is really important. And Micah uses throughout his book poetic, picturesque, strong language. He's prophesying simultaneously with the the prophet Isaiah as well. During the reigns of Jotham, Hezekiah, and Ahaz, and yet his message was shorter, more profound, more, uh, more straightforward. He was, he's called a minor prophet. And this is a very picturesque illustration as he draws us into this kind of courtroom setting where he, as the prosecutor, lays out the case. God is the judge and the people are their own defense. And frankly, there was no defense. Look what he says in verse two. This is where we see the specific case or the specific controversy that the prophet is laying out. He says, hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, literally an an indictment or a case against you, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. Let me just stop for a moment and ask you a question. Would it be a problem to you if you knew God had a problem with you? Would that be a serious problem this morning to you if this was being said about you? Hey, I have a controversy. There is a case against you. I sure hope that all of us would agree that would be something we need to take care of. This is the controversy that he is showcasing for these people under inspiration. Notice verse three, this is where we see the judge, God himself speaking. He says, oh my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? So obviously they had become content or frustrated or even cynical or complaining or weary in doing what God wanted for them. They were weary in in what they were doing. He says, testify against me, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, the two cities on either side of the Jordan River. He says, remember these things that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. And this is really important for us when, we are, when we're burdened down, when we're weary, when we're distracted by all kinds of other things. These people were particularly distracted by greed. They were distracted by sensuality. They were distracted by uh, religious rituals and rites. They were distracted by all those things. And sometimes when we are being distracted by all the cares of life, we we need to remember the good hand of God, that God has protected us. This is what he's saying, that God has given leadership to us, that God has provided for us. He he mentions these these things that they would have been fully aware of, how he brought them out of Egypt, he provided leadership, how he protected them against uh, the, the evil prophecy and prophesied blessing and so forth. And he even mentions the cities on either side of the Jordan to remind them of that specific event where God miraculously provided for them. Whenever you're struggling and whenever you're weary and whenever you're wondering, is it really worth it to live in this relationship with God appropriately like I should? Is it really worth it? You need to remember the good hand of God on your life. Can I ask you a question this morning? 
Has God been good to you? Can you think right now about how he's sovereignly, providentially guided your life? He's brought you to this point. Don't forget those things. And now the people seek to defend themselves. And this is how foolish we are sometimes too when God has a controversy with us. And notice the series of questions that they ask. And this is, as a, again, the courtroom setting. You have the prosecutor, you have the judge, and now the defense stands up and they try to defend themselves. And they defend themselves foolishly with a list of religious rituals somehow thinking that they were appeasing God by doing all of these duties, all of these sacrifices, and they defend themselves with these questions. Verse six, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Is God looking for more sacrifice? Is God looking for more religious duty? Verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000s of rivers of oil. And you can almost sense the sarcasm and the cynicism in their language here in these questions, so much so that the last question has to do with actually offering child sacrifice. It, they say, shall I give my firstborn, verse seven, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They're saying, God, what more do you want? Do you want us to be like the pagans? Do you want us to offer our children? We're doing all of these religious things. We're doing all of these rituals. We're doing the sacrifices, God. What more do you want? Sometimes this is how we feel as well. Growing up in a culture of Christianity, growing up in a Christian home, going to Christian school, homeschool, or whatever, being in a youth group, coming to a Christian university, and sometimes we get completely and utterly distracted by just trying to meet expectations or standards. But that's not the primary thing God is looking for. This is the whole point, I, I believe, of this text of Scripture and the point that I want to give you today, and that is God is not interested in all of our religious, ritualistic activity. God wants a relationship with us. He wants your heart. He doesn't want just your rituals and religion and behavior. He wants your heart. And this is what, what the people needed to understand here that they, they, they're already in a covenant relationship with God and they should have already known from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, this almost exact quote that we're gonna see in, in verse eight. And so I'm preaching this today because I wanna simplify for all of us what is going on in our lives because we're, we have so much happening. As I told you, this, this is how Dr. Oates, I believe, has lived his life though he's, he's a very theologically driven man and can articulate the, the finer points of the scriptures, I believe that he is a man who demonstrates for us the simple truth that we see here in Micah 6, verse 8. And we really don't need to spend a lot of time on it. It's actually simply stated, and the, and the question is, are we obeying God's requirements? That's, that's the question this morning. I'm not asking, are you going through religious rituals or behaviors or standards of expectation? I'm asking you, are you in a proper relationship with God? 
God is looking for a relationship with you, and that is cultivated by obedience to these three requirements. These are requirements for us, and though they're simply stated, they're difficult to apply in every area of our life. And it's actually one of my favorite verses. You ought to know this verse, Micah 6, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. This is what God wants for for us. We already should know this. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I don't know about you, but even just reading over it, the Spirit of God is already showcasing things in my life. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Wouldn't you agree with me? That kind of simplifies things. You have so many expectations. You have so many uh, assignments. You have so many relationships. You have so many things bombarding you all the time. It is good for us to just kind of simplify our our thoughts this morning and just get down to this bottom level, this foundational level. Am I obeying these requirements? Number one, do justly. The word justice is the word that was used in the courtroom to establish the rule of law. It has the idea of handling every situation in an appropriate, right way. I think this would include our moral conduct. It would include uh, righteous behavior personally towards God. It would definitely be that vertical relationship, but it's also our horizontal relationships as well. It it literally has the idea of of being a person of integrity, a person of holiness, a person that is committed to doing what is right and not just doing what is right, but saying what is right and thinking what is right, a person that is uh, feeling right towards other people, a person that's treating people right, and all of those things. And if you read through the book of Micah, you understand that this was a significant problem. They, they were taking advantage of people. They were manipulating people. They, they, were, they were actually crushing people with their selfishness, pride, and manipulation. And this is a danger for us as well that we would actually get to the point in our lives where we are covering up a lack of integrity or a lack of justice by simply appeasing people with external behaviors. But the bottom line is, down deep in our soul, we have to be committed to what is right. We need to treat people right. We need to to say what is right. We need to be right in every situation of life And I just want to ask you this morning, is that happening in your vertical relationship with God, in your horizontal relationships with people? Do justly. And of course, that matches the character of God as well. God is holy. God is just. He's a God of integrity. He does no iniquity. And so when we seek to live in this relationship with God in this way, we are simply matching his character. We are committing ourselves to a life that is right and just and is stable and secure on God's truth. So I ask you this morning, are you living in this kind of reality? Just obedience to God, doing what is right. What do you need to confess this morning? What what sin, what response towards another person? What bad attitude, what word 
What thought? Wouldn't you say doing justice includes all of that? That we should be so committed to righteousness and to right conduct and to right thinking and to right behaviors that we would be evaluating all the time, am I in this category? Am I doing justice? It's very, very simply stated, but difficult to live. The second one is obvious. He says, do justly and what? Love mercy. Love mercy. Now, this is interesting because the two words typically we would say are kind of synonymous, right? But they're really not. He's actually telling us that we should get great joy, that we should self-sacrifice ourselves to show mercy. We should love showing mercy. And again, this was a problem for the people of God. They were taking advantage of people instead of loving people. And this word mercy, of course, is one of the most common Hebrew words in the Old Testament describing the loving kindness of God. His tender mercies, his love, his compassion toward us. It is literally the fact that God saw us in our need. And that God had the ability to meet our need. And that God sacrificially gave to meet our need. And this is why I believe it is so true that the most merciful people living today ought to be people who have experienced the mercy of God. We should be merciful. And yet Christians hold grudges and Christians get bitter and Christians attack others and Christians mistreat people. And, and often we don't love anybody but who? Ourselves. I want to encourage you that this, this has got to be absolutely foundational. And I would, I would just submit to you today that this is at the very heart of a person who is committed to ministry. And we're hoping that all of you will be committed to ministry. And that is the fact that you love mercy. You love people. You love helping them. You love serving them. You love praying with them. You love encouraging them. You love all of these things. And, and life is not about you. Life is about sacrificially giving and showcasing mercy, mercy to the church and, and to people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and of course, mercy to the lost as we share the gospel here and around the world. This should be at the very heart of us as believers that are in a right relationship with God is that we love mercy. And I want to just again say to you what I, what I often have said, it, this is not just for people that are in full-time ministry. Every Christian should be so merciful and should be ministering to others. Every one of you should have this at the core of your being. And yet there's some of you and, and you're bitter and you're unforgiving when God has forgiven you. And you, and you, you lack in kindness when God has been kind to you. You lack in mercy. I mean, what good is it if you do all the sacrifices but you don't love mercy? Don't you see this is the simple reality, the simple foundation of our relationship with God? Do justly, love mercy. And then finally, of course, walk humbly. Maybe God has a controversy with us because of this justice, because of a lack of justice, a lack of integrity. Maybe God has a controversy with us because of a lack of love, a lack of mercy for people. Or maybe God has a controversy with us because of pride. And of course, we all know, right? Pride is the ultimate sin. 
It's the sin that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. It's the sin that plagues us every day. I will exalt myself. I will be like the most high. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that Lucifer, was, that, that's, where, that's where pride is. Pride is, is all about me. It's all about my life. It's all about raising myself up instead of what he says here, that we are to be walking humbly with the Lord. And let me just say this, that the only way to actually have genuine humility is to get your eyes off of you and notice a big God who is awesome and majestic and powerful and when your eyes are on God, you will say like the prophet Isaiah said, woe is me. You know what? Pride is always a testimony of somebody who doesn't really know God. The more you see God, the more you lift your eyes to see God, you'll never think highly of yourself. Walk humbly with the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Where is pride showing up in your life? Where is it showing up in your life? Is it in the way you're responding at school? Is it the way you're treating other people or the way you're talking to your roommate or talking about your roommate? Is it, is it some way of criticizing or coveting or, or contention? All of these things are fruits of pride. Where is pride showing up in your life? The Bible says here that God's requirement for us is that we would walk humbly. Crucify yourself. See God for who he is. Pursue after God and walk humbly before the Lord. Maybe, maybe this should be a decision of your heart today. God, I'm, I'm just proud. I, I need to humble myself. And the Bible does say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. So when, when it comes right down to it, the message is actually really simple, right? But we get so distracted. And let, let's be honest, there are a lot of things we have to handle, Amen. I mean, we're all handling all kinds of things. There's things bombarding us from every side. But a part of the role of the prophet here and part of the role of this preacher this morning is to kind of lay it out in a simple way so that in this moment of spiritual work, that as the Holy Spirit is working in this moment, that we would kind of put aside all of those other things and just ask ourselves, are we doing these little things, these simple things? Are we just? Are we merciful? Are we humble? And again, I want to say to you that God has not only gifted us with Dr. Oates, who's been a great example of, of this to me and to thousands of people. Trust me, I hear it all over the country. Hey, do you know Dr. Oates? Yeah, I know Dr. Oates. Wow, what an amazing man. Not only do we have the gift of a man like Dr. Oates, but there's so many faculty and staff here that are trying to exemplify this. And we get under conviction when we hear a message like this too, because this is what we need to. But I do believe that it is a wonderful blessing for us to just put it in this simple format. That's what the prophet did. That's what I'm trying to do for you. He has showed the old man what is good. This is what is good. This is what is right. This is what God expects. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with my God. Remember many years ago when I was in college, uh, we did not have devices, okay? We didn't even have email. I know, I'm, I'm really old. I would, I would have to actually go to a real phone. We actually had phones in all of the dorm rooms, okay? 
And uh, my mom and dad heard from me probably about once a week. My mom always wanted it once a day, but never got to that. But uh, I remember uh, regularly calling at particular times, especially when everything was getting overwhelming. That's what happens at college. You're involved in this, you're involved in that. And oh, by the way, there's academics, right? There's sports, there's music, there's friends, there's society. And yeah, all these assignments that I'm trying to do, trying to be a good example. And I I remember multiple times, kind of in a sense, maybe you've done this, venting to my dad on the phone. Dad, you won't believe. Oh, let me. I I can remember multiple times this, this verse became very special to us and our family. I I can remember multiple times that at the end of the conversation, he would say, son, when it comes right down to it, you just need to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And you know what? That's the truth. That's the truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to see these truths clearly in the scripture. Lord, I believe that there are some of these students that are a little bit like the children of Judah. God, don't you see all that I'm doing? Don't you see the sacrifices? I'm trying. What more do you want? And there are some of them that just need to understand the simple truth of this text, that the case against us is often that we believe that our relationship with you is dependent on all of these external things, when really cultivating a relationship with you comes from our heart as we are committed to justice, committed to mercy, committed to humility. And Lord, I pray that in our relationships, in our responses, in the activities of even this day, that we would practice Micah 6, 8. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And God, at the end of this service, I again want to thank you that you have blessed us with a man of God for 50 years here at Maranatha, in 75 years of life, a man of God who has been an example and persevering in these ways. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of humility. He's a man of mercy. And Lord, I pray that all of us would seek to be this way as well. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Help us to confess what we need, make a decision for you, and please give us a blessed day living in these realities. In Jesus' name, amen.